This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. A podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have a, another wonderful Christmassy holiday story for you. I think you're really going to like. Um, it's the Nutcracker, which is one I've been very, very excited to read all year. But before we get to the uh, bedtime story... I just want to thank all of our brand new patrons on Patreon.com, which is a website where you can go and pledge a couple bucks for an ad-free version of the show. So, this week's wonderful new patrons, Ren Giddy, 
Carrie Mansfield, Samantha Moss, David Allen, Lulu and Dan, Joanna Colburn, and Hannah Graziano. Thank you all so, so much for donating. It really means so much that you're a part of making this show now. So thank you. And for anyone who doesn't know, uh, these names that I just read are brand new supporters of Sleepy on Patreon.com, which is a place where you can go and directly support creators of the work that you like. So, if you like Sleepy and uh, you want some cool perks for being a part of making the show, like an ad-free version of Sleepy or access to the exclusive poetry feed with over 50 episodes you've probably never heard before, then you can go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. No matter how much you donate, even if it's a dollar, I will read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. So again, if you want to be a part of making this show, go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover art for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. I am very happy to be reading this Christmas story to you tonight, as it is such a well-known classic with such a recognizable um, Christmassy title. Um, I can't believe I haven't read it on the show before. Um, I'm very, very happy to tonight. And we'll be reading The Nutcracker and the Mouse King by E.T.A. Hoffman. This was uh, originally written in 1816 and of course has gone on to shape the way that we celebrate Christmas and uh, has countless plays and musicals and books and cartoons based off of it. And this little tale is uh, what all that is based off of. So as you approach Christmas, holidays, whatever you do celebrate, uh, Happy Hanukkah, by the way, to any of our listeners who celebrate it, I hope this helps you get in the holiday spirit. I very much enjoyed reading it, so... I hope you enjoy falling asleep to it. Without further ado, The Nutcracker and the Mouse King by E.T.A. Hoffman. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Christmas Eve. During the long, long day of the 24th of December, the children of Dr. Stahlbaum were not permitted to enter the parlor, much less the adjoining drawing room. Frederick and Maria sat nestled together in a corner of the back chamber. Dusky twilight had come on, and they felt quite gloomy and fearful, 
for as was commonly the case on this day, no light was brought into them. Fred, in great secrecy and in a whisper, informed his little sister, she was only just seven years old, that ever since morning he had heard a rustling and a rattling, and now and then a gentle knocking in the forbidden chambers. Not long ago, also he had seen a little dark man with a large chest under his arm, gliding softly through the entry, but he knew very well that it was nobody but Godfather Drosselmeyer. Upon this, Maria clapped her little hands together for joy and exclaimed, Ah, what beautiful things has Godfather Drosselmeyer made for us this time. Counselor Drosselmeyer was not a very handsome man. He was small and thin, had many wrinkles in his face. Over his right eye he had a large dark patch, and he was without hair, for which reason he wore a very nice white wig. This was made of glass, however, and was a very ingenious piece of work. The godfather himself was very ingenious also. He understood all about clocks and watches, and could even make them. Accordingly, when any one of the beautiful clocks in Dr. Stahlbaum's house was sick and could not sing, Godfather Drosselmeyer would have to attend it. He would then take off his glass wig, pull off his brown coat, put on a blue apron, and pierce the clock with sharp-pointed instruments, which usually caused little Maria a great deal of anxiety. But it did the clock no harm. On the contrary, it became quite lively again, and began at once right merrily to rattle and to strike and to sing so that it was a pleasure to all who heard it. Whenever he came, he always brought something pretty in his pocket for the children. Sometimes a little man who moved his eyes and made a bow at others, a box from which a little bird hopped out when it was open. Sometimes one thing, sometimes another. When Christmas Eve came, he had always a beautiful piece of work prepared for them, which had cost him a great deal of trouble, and on this account, it was always carefully preserved by their parents after he had given it to them. Ah, what beautiful present has Godfather Drosselmeyer made for us this time, exclaimed Maria. It was Fred's opinion that this time it could be nothing else than a castle in which all kinds of fine soldiers marched up and down and went through their exercises. Then other soldiers would come and try to break into the castle but the soldiers within would fire off their cannon very bravely until all roared and cracked again. No, no, cried Maria, interrupting him. Godfather Drosselmeyer has told me of a lovely garden where there is a great lake, upon which beautiful swans swim about with golden collars around their necks and sing their sweetest songs. Then there comes a little girl out of the garden, down along the lake, and coaxes the swans to the shore and feeds them with sweet cake. Swans never eat cake, interrupted Fred, somewhat roughly, and even Godfather Drosselmeyer himself can't make a whole garden. After all, we have little good of his playthings, 
they are all taken right away from us again. I like what Papa and Mama give us much better, for we can keep their presents for ourselves and do as we please with them. The children now began once more to guess what it could be this time. Maria thought that Miss Thrutchen, her great doll, was growing very old, for she fell almost every moment upon the floor, and more awkwardly than ever, which could not happen without leaving sad marks upon her face. And as to the neatness and dress, this was now altogether out of the question with her. Scolding did not help the matter in the least. Frederick declared, on the other hand, that a bay horse was wanting in his stable, and his troops were very deficient in cavalry, as his papa very well knew. By this time, it had become quite dark. Frederick and Maria sat close together and did not venture again to speak a word. It seemed now as if soft wings rustled around them, and very distant but sweet music was heard at intervals. At this moment, a shrill sound broke upon their ears. Gang, gling, gang, gling. The doors flew wide open, and such a dazzling light broke out from the great chamber that with the loud exclamation, Ah, ah, the children stood fixed at the threshold. But Papa and Mama stepped to the door, took them by the hand, and said, Come, come, dear children, and see what Christmas has brought you this year. Chapter 2 The Gifts Kind reader or listener, whatever may be your name, whether Frank, Robert, Henry, Anna, or Maria, I beg you to call to mind the table covered with your last Christmas gifts, as in their newest gloss they first appear to your delighted vision. You will then be able to imagine the astonishment of the children as they stood with sparkling eyes, unable to utter a word, for joy at the sight before them. At last, Maria called out with a deep sigh, Ah, how beautiful! Ah, how beautiful! And Frederick gave two or three leaps in the air higher than he had ever done before. The children must have been very obedient and good children during the past year, for never on any Christmas Eve before had so many beautiful things been given to them. A tall fir tree stood in the middle of the room, covered with gold and silver apples, while sugar almonds, confits, lemon drops, and every kind of confectionery hung like buds and blossoms upon all its branches. But the greatest beauty about this wonderful tree was the many little lights that sparkled amid its dark boughs, which like stars illuminated its treasures or like friendly eyes seemed to invite the children to partake of its blossoms and fruit. The table under the tree shone and flushed with a thousand different colors. Ah, what beautiful things were there. Who can describe them? Maria spied the prettiest dolls, a tea set, all kinds of nice little furniture, and what eclipsed all the rest 
a silk dress tastefully ornamented with gay ribbons, which hung upon the frame before her eyes, so that she could view it on every side. This she did too, and exclaimed over and over again, Ah, the sweet, ah, the dear, dear frock, and may I put it on? Yes, yes, may I really, though, wear it? In the meanwhile, Fred had been galloping round and round the room, trying his new bay horse, which, true enough, he had found fastened by its bridle to the table. Dismounting again, he said it was a wild creature, but that was nothing. He would soon break him. He then reviewed his new regiment of hussars, who were very elegantly arrayed in red and gold and carried silver weapons and rode upon such bright shining horses that you would almost believe they were of pure silver also. The children had now become somewhat more composed and turned to the picture books, which lay open on the table where all kinds of beautiful flowers and gaily dressed people and boys and girls at play were painted as natural as if they were alive. Yes, the children had just turned to these singular books when, cling, ling, cling, ling, the bell was heard again. They knew that Godfather Drosselmeyer was now about to display his Christmas gift and ran towards a table that stood against the wall, covered by a curtain reaching from the ceiling to the floor. The curtain behind which he remained so long concealed was quickly drawn aside. And what saw the children then? Upon a green meadow, spangled with flowers, stood a noble castle with clear glass windows and golden turrets. A musical clock began to play, and the doors and windows flew open, and little men and women with feathers in their hats and long flowing trains were seen sauntering about in the rooms. In the middle hall, which seemed as if it were all on fire, so many little tapers were burning in silver chandeliers. There were children in white frocks and green jackets dancing to the sound of the music. A man in an emerald green cloak at intervals put his head out of the window, nodded, and then disappeared. And Godfather Drosselmeyer himself only that he was not much bigger than Papa's thumb, came now and then to the door of the castle, looked about him, and then went in again. Fred, with his arms resting upon the table, gazed at the beautiful castle and the little walking and dancing figures, and then said, Godfather Drosselmeyer, let me go into your castle. The counselor gave him to understand that this could not be done, and he was right, for it was foolish of Fred to wish to go into a castle which, with its golden turrets, was not as high as his head. Fred saw that likewise himself. After a while, as the men and women kept walking back and forth, and the children danced, and the emerald man looked out the window, and Godfather Drosselmeyer came to the door, and all without the least change. Fred called out impatiently, 
Godfather Drosselmeyer. Come out this time at the other door. That can never be, dear Fred, said the counselor. Well then, continued Frederick, let the green man who peeps out the window walk about with the rest. And that can never be, rejoined the counselor. Then the children must come down, cried Fred. I want to see them nearer. All that can never be, I say, replied the counselor, a little bit out of humor. As the mechanism is made, so it must remain. So, oh, cried Fred in a drawling tone, all that can never be. Listen, Godfather Drosselmeyer, if your little dressed-up figures in the castle there can do nothing else but always the same thing, they are not good for much, and I care very little about them. No, give me my hussars, who can maneuver backward and forward as I order them, and are not shut up in a house. With this, he darted towards a large table, drew up his regiment upon their silver horses, and let them trot and gallop, and cut and slash to his heart's content. Maria also had softly stolen away, for she too was tired of the sauntering and dancing puppets in the castle. But as she was very amiable and good, she did not wish it to be observed so plainly in her as it was in her brother Fred. Counselor Drosselmeyer turned to the parents and said, somewhat angrily, an ingenious work like this was not made for stupid children. I will put up my castle again and carry it home. But their mother now stepped forward and desired to see the secret mechanism and curious works by which the little figures were set in motion. The counselor took it all apart and then put it together again. While he was employed in this manner, he became good-natured once more and gave the children some nice brown men and women with gilt faces, hands and feet. They were all made of sweet thorn and smelled like gingerbread, at which Frederick and Maria were greatly delighted. At her mother's request, the elder sister, Louise, had put on the new dress which had been given to her. She looked most charming in it. But Maria, when it came her turn, thought she would like to look at hers a while longer as a tongue. This was readily permitted. Chapter 3 The Favorite The truth is, Maria was unwilling to leave the table then, because she had discovered something upon it, which no one had yet remarked. By the marching out of Fred's hussars, who had been drawn up close to the tree, a curious little man came into view. He stood there silent and retired, as if waiting quietly for his turn to be noticed. It must be confessed, a great deal could not be said in favor of the beauty of his figure, for not only was his rather broad, stout body out of all proportion to the little slim legs that carried it, 
but his head was by far too large for either. A genteel dress went a great way to compensate for these defects and led to the belief that he must be a man of taste and good breeding. He wore a hussar's jacket of beautiful bright violet, fastened together with white loops and buttons, pantaloons of exactly the same color, and the nicest boots that ever graced a foot of a student or an officer. They fitted as tight to his little legs as if they were painted upon them. It was laughable to see that, in addition to this handsome apparel, he had hung upon his back a narrow, clumsy cloak that looked as if it were made of wood, and upon his head he wore a woodman's cap. But Maria remembered that Godfather Drosselmeyer wore an old shabby cloak and an ugly cap, and still, he was a dear, dear godfather. Maria could not help thinking, also, that even if Godfather Drosselmeyer were in other respects as well-dressed as this little fellow, yet after all, he would not look half so handsome as he. The longer Maria gazed upon the little man whom she had taken a liking to at first sight, the more she was sensible how much good nature and friendliness was expressed in his features. Nothing but kindness and benevolence shone in his clear green, though somewhat too prominent eyes. It was very becoming to the man that he wore about his chin a nicely trimmed beard of white cotton, for by this the sweet smile upon his deep red lips was rendered much more striking. Ah, dear father, exclaimed Maria at last, to whom belongs that charming little man by the tree there? He shall work industriously for you all, dear child, said her father. He can crack the hardest nuts with his teeth, and he belongs as well to Louise as to you and Fred. With these words, her father took him carefully to the table and raised up his wooden cloak, whereupon the little man stretched his mouth wide open and showed two rows of very white, sharp teeth. At her father's bidding, Maria put in a nut, and, crack, the man had bitten it in two, so that the shell fell off, and Maria caught the sweet kernel in her hand. Maria and the other two children were now informed that this dainty little man came of the family of nutcrackers, and practiced the profession of his forefathers. Maria was overjoyed at what she heard. And her father said, Dear Maria, since friend Nutcracker is so great a favorite with you, I place him under your particular care and keeping. Although, as I said before, Louise and Fred shall have as much right to his services as you. Maria took him immediately in her arms and set him to cracking nuts. But she picked out the smallest, that the little fellow need not stretch his mouth open so wide which in truth was not very becoming to him. Louise sat down by her, and the friend Nutcracker must perform the same service for her too, which he seemed to do quite willingly, for he kept smiling all the while very pleasantly. In the meantime, 
Fred had become tired of riding and parading his hussars. When he heard the nuts crack so merrily, he ran to his sister and laughed very heartily at the droll little man, who now, since Fred must have a share in the sport, passed him from hand to hand. Thus there was no end to his labor. Fred always chose the biggest and hardest nuts, when all at once, crack, crack, it went, and three teeth fell out of the nutcracker's mouth, and his whole underjaw became loose and rickety. Ah, my poor dear nutcracker, said Maria, and snatched him out of Fred's hands. That's a stupid fellow, said Fred. He wants to be a nutcracker and has poor teeth. He doesn't understand the trade. Give him to me, Maria. He shall crack nuts for me if he loses all his teeth and his whole chin in the bargain. Why make such a fuss about such a fellow? No, no, exclaimed Maria, weeping. You shall not have my dear nutcracker. See how sorrowfully he looks at me and shows me his poor mouth. But you are a hard-hearted fellow. You beat your horses. Yes, and lately you had one of your soldiers shot through the head. That's all right, said Fred, though you don't understand it. But Nutcracker belongs as much to me as to you, so let me have it. Maria began to cry bitterly and rolled up the sick Nutcracker as quickly as she could in her little pocket handkerchief. Their parents now came up with Godfather Drosselmeyer. The latter, to Maria's great distress, took Fred's part. But their father said, I have placed Nutcracker expressly under Maria's protection, and as I see that he is now greatly in need of it, I give her full authority over him. No one must dispute it. Besides, I wonder at Fred that he could require further duty from one who has been maimed in the service. As a good soldier, he ought to know that the wounded are not expected to take place in the ranks. Fred was much ashamed, and without troubling himself farther about nuts or nutcracker, stole around to the opposite end of the table, where his hussars, after stationing suitable outposts, had encamped for the night. Maria collected together Nutcracker's lost teeth, tied up his wounded chin with a nice white ribbon which had been taken from her dress, and then wrapped up the little fellow more carefully than ever in her handkerchief, for he looked very pale and frightened. Thus she held him, rocking him in her arms like a little child, while she looked over the beautiful pictures of the new picture book which she found among her other Christmas gifts. Contrary to her usual disposition, she showed some ill temper towards Father Drosselmeyer, who kept continually laughing at her, and asked again and again how it was that she liked to caress such an ugly little fellow. That singular comparison with Drosselmeyer, which she made when her eyes first fell upon Nutcracker, now came again into her mind, and she said very seriously, who knows, dear Godfather, if you were dressed like my sweet nutcracker and had on such bright little boots 
Who knows but you would be then as handsome as he. Maria could not tell why her parents laughed so loudly at this and why the counselor's face turned so red. For his part, he did not laugh half so heartily this time as he had done more than once before. It is likely that there was some particular reason for it. Chapter 4 Wonders Upon Wonders In the sitting room of the doctor's house, just as you enter the room, there stands on the left hand close against the wall a high glass case in which the children preserve all the beautiful things which are given to them every year. Louise was quite a little girl when her father had the case made by a skillful joiner who set in it such large clear panes of glass and arranged all the parts so well together that everything looked much brighter and handsomer when on its shelves than when it was held in the hands. On the upper shell, which Maria and Fred were unable to reach, stood all Godfather Drosselmeyer's curious machines. Immediately below this was a shelf for the picture books. The two lower shelves Maria and Fred filled up as they pleased, but it always happened that Maria used the lower one as a house for her dolls, while Fred, on the contrary, cantoned his troops in the one above. And so it happened today, for while Fred set his hussars in order above, Maria, having laid Miss Trutchen aside and having installed the new and sweetly dressed doll in her best furnished chamber below, had invited herself to tea with her. I have said that the chamber was well furnished, and it is true. Here was a nice chintz sofa and several tiny chairs. There stood a tea table. But above all, there was a clean, white little bed for her doll to repose on. All these things were arranged in one corner of the glass case, the sides of which were hung with gay pictures, and it will readily be supposed that in such a chamber the new doll, Miss Clara, must have found herself very comfortable. It was now late in the evening, and night, indeed, was close at hand. Godfather Drosselmeyer had long since gone home, yet still the children could not leave the glass case, although their mother reportedly told them that it was high time to go to bed. It is true, cried Fred at last. The poor fellows, meaning his hussars, would like to get a little rest, and as long as I am here, not one of them will dare to not. I know that. With these words he went up to bed, but Maria begged very hard, only leave me here a little while, dear mother, I have two or three things to attend to, and when they are done, I will go immediately to bed. Maria was a very good and sensible child, and therefore her mother could leave her alone with her playthings without anxiety but for fear she might become so much interested in her new doll and other presents as to forget the lights which burned around the glass case. Her mother blew them out and left only the lamp which hung down from the ceiling in the middle of the chamber and which diffused a soft, pleasant light. 
Come in soon, dear Maria, or you will not be up in time tomorrow morning, called her mother as she went up to bed. There was something Maria had at heart to do, which she had not told her mother, though she knew not the reason why. And as soon as she found herself alone, she went quickly about it. She still carried in her arms the wounded nutcracker, rolled up in her pocket handkerchief. Now she laid him carefully upon the table, unrolled the handkerchief softly, and examined the wound. Nutcracker was very pale, but still he smiled so kindly and sorrowfully that it went straight to Maria's heart. Ah, Nutcracker, Nutcracker, do not be angry at Brother Fred because he hurt you so. He did not mean to be so rough. It is the wild soldier's life with his hussars that made him a little hard-hearted, but otherwise he is a good fellow, I can assure you. Now I will tend you very carefully until you are well and merry again. As to fastening your tea and setting your soldiers, that Godfather Drosselmeyer must do. He understands such things. But Maria was hardly able to finish the sentence, for as she mentioned the name of Drosselmeyer, friend Nutcracker made a terrible wry face, and there darted something out of his eyes like green sparkling flashes. Maria was just going to fall into a dreadful fright, and behold, it was the sad smiling face of the honest nutcracker again, which she saw before her. She knew now that it must be the glare of the lamp, which stirred by the draft had flared up and distorted nutcracker's features so strangely. Am I not a foolish girl, she said, to be so easily frightened? and to think that a wooden puppet could make faces at me. But I love Nutcracker too well, because he is so droll and so good-tempered. Therefore he shall be taken good care of as he deserves. With this, Maria took friend Nutcracker in her arms, walked to the glass case, stooped down, and said to her new doll, Pray, Miss Clara, be so good as to give up your bed to the sick and wounded nutcracker and make out as well as you can with the sofa. Remember that you are well and hearty or you would not have such fat red cheeks and very few little dolls have such nice sofas. Miss Clara, in her gay Christmas attire, looked very grand and haughty and would not even say much. But why should I stand upon ceremony, said Maria. And she took out the bed, laid little Nutcracker down upon it softly, and gently rolled a nice ribbon which she wore around her waist upon his poor shoulders, and then drew the bedclothes over him snugly, so that there was nothing to be seen of him below the nose. He shan't stay with naughty Clara, she said and raised the bed with Nutcracker in it to the shelf above, and placed it close by the pretty village, where Fred's hussars were quartered. She locked the case, and was about to go up to bed, when, listen children, when softly, softly it began to rustle, and to whisper, and to rattle round and round under the hearth behind the chairs, 
behind the cupboards and glass case. The great clock whirred louder and louder, but it could not strike. Maria turned toward it. There the large gilt owl that sat on top had dropped down its wings so that they covered the whole face, and it stretched out its ugly head with the short crooked beak and looked just like a cat. And the clock whirred louder in plain words. To cry, to cry, dark whirr, softly clock, mouse king has a fine ear, purr, purr, pom pom. The old song let him hear, purr, purr, pom pom. Or he might run away in a fright. Now clock strikes softly and light. And pum pum, it went with a dull, deadened sound twelve times. Maria began now to tremble out of the room in terror when she beheld Godfather Drosselmeyer, who sat in the owl's place on top of the clock and had hung down the skirts of his brown coat just like wings. But she took courage and cried out loudly with sobs, Godfather Drosselmeyer, Godfather Drosselmeyer, what are you doing up there? Come down, and do not frighten me so, you naughty Godfather Drosselmeyer. Just then, a wild squeaking and whimpering broke out on all sides, and there was a running, trotting, and galloping behind the walls, as if a thousand little feet were in motion, and a thousand little lights flashed out of the crevices in the floor. But they were not lights, no. They were sparkling little eyes, and Maria perceived that mice were all around, peeping out and working their way into the room. Presently, it went trot, trot, hop, hop about the chamber, and more and more mice in greater and smaller parties galloped across, and at last placed themselves in line and column just as Fred was accustomed to place his soldiers when they went to battle. This Maria thought was very droll, and as she had not the aversion to mice which most children have, her terror was gradually leaving her. Then all at once there arose a squeaking so terrible and piercing that it seemed as if ice-cold water had been poured down her back. Ah, what now did she see? I know, my worthy reader, Frederick, that thy heart, like that of the wise and brave soldier Frederick Stahlbaum, sits in the right place. But if you had seen what Maria now beheld, you would certainly have run away. Yes, I believe you would have jumped as quickly as possible into bed, and then have drawn the covering over your ears much farther than was necessary to keep them warm. Alas, Poor Maria could not do that now, for, listen children, close before her feet there burst out sand and lime and crumbled wall stones as if thrown up by some subterranean force. Then seven mice heads with seven sparkling crowns rose out of the floor, squeaking and squealing terribly. Presently the mouse's body, to which seven heads belonged, worked its way out and the great mouse crowned with seven diadems, squeaking loudly 
huzzahed in full chorus as he advanced to meet his army, which at once set itself in motion. And hot, hot, trot, trot it went. Alas, straight towards the glass case, straight towards poor Maria, who stood close before it. Her heart had before beat so terribly from anxiety and fear that she thought it would leap out of her bosom, and then she knew she must die. But now it seemed as if the blood stood still in her veins. Half fainting, she tottered backward, when clatter, clatter, rattle, rattle it went, and a glass pane which she had struck with her elbow fell in pieces at her feet. She felt at the moment a sharp pain in her left arm, but her heart all at once became much lighter. She heard no more squeaking and squealing. All had become still. And although she dared not look, yet she believed that the mice, frightened by the clatter of the broken glass, had retreated into their holes. But what was that again? Close behind her in the glass case, a strange bustling and rustling began and little fine voices were heard. Up, up, and away. Arms take, away. To the fight, this night. Up, up, to the fight. And all the while something rang out clear and sweet like little bells. Ah, that is my clear musical clock, exclaimed Maria joyfully, and turned quickly to look. She then saw how it flashed and lightened strangely in the glass case, and there was a great stir and bustle upon the shelves. Many little figures crossed up and down by each other and worked and stretched out their arms as if they were making ready. And now Nutcracker raised himself all of a sudden, threw the bedclothes clear off, and leaped with both feet at once out of bed, crying aloud, Crack, 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 stupid pack. Drive mouse back, stupid pack. Crack, crack, mouse, back. Crack, crack, stupid pack. With these words he drew his little sword, flourished it in the air and exclaimed, My loving vassals, friends and brothers, will you stand by me in the hard fight? Straight away, Three scaramouches, a harlequin, four chimney sweepers, two guitar players and a drummer cried out, Yes, my lord, we will follow you with fidelity and courage. We will march with you to battle, to victory or death. And then rushed after the fiery nutcracker who ventured the dangerous leap down from the upper shell. Ah, uh, it was easy enough for them to perform this feat, for beside the fine garments of thick cloth and silk which they wore, the inside of their bodies were made of cotton and tow, so that they came down like plump bags of wool. The poor nutcracker had certainly broken his arms or his legs, for remember, it was almost two feet from the shell where he stood to the floor, and his body was as brittle as if it had been cut out of linden wood. Yes, Nutcracker would certainly have broken his arms or his legs if at that moment when he leaped 
Miss Clara had not sprung quickly from the sofa and caught the hero with his drawn sword in her soft arms. Ah, thou dear good Clara, sobbed Maria, how I have wronged thee. Thou didst certainly resign thy bed willingly to little Nutcracker. But Miss Clara now spoke, as she softly pressed the young hero to her silken bosom. You will not, O oh my lord, sick and wounded as you are, share the dangers of the fight. See how your brave vassals assemble themselves, eager for the affray and certain of conquest. Scaramouche, Harlequin, chimney sweepers, guitar players, drummer, are already drawn up below, and the china figures on their shelf stir and move strangely. Will you not, O oh my lord, repose upon the sofa, or from my arms look down upon your victory? Thus spoke Clara, but struggled so violently with his legs that Clara had obliged to set him quickly down upon the floor. He then, however, dropped gracefully upon one knee and said, Fair lady, the recollection of thy favor and condescension will go with me into the battle and the strife. Clara then stooped so low that she could take him by the arm, raised him gently from his knees, took off her bespangled girdle, and was about to throw it across his neck. But little Nutcracker stepped two paces backward, laid his hand upon his breast, and said very earnestly, Not so, fair lady. Lavish not thy favors thus upon me. He stopped, sighed heavily, tore off the ribbon which Maria had bound about his shoulders, pressed it to his lips, hung it across him like a scarf, and then boldly flourishing his bright little blade leaped like a bird over the edge of the glass case upon the floor. You understand, my kind and good readers and listeners, the Nutcracker, even before he had thus come to life, had felt very sensibly the kindness and love which Maria had shown towards him. And it was because he had become so partial to her that he would not receive and wear the girdle of Miss Clara, although it shone and sparkled so brightly. The true and faithful Nutcracker preferred to wear Maria's simple ribbon. But what will now happen? As soon as Nutcracker had leaped out, the squeaking and whistling was heard again. Ah, it is under the large table that the hateful mice have concealed their countless bands, and high above them all towers and dreadful mouse with seven heads. What will now happen? Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.